Hey, so I'm Jason. Um, I've been coming here a couple years, and I wanted to share my experience um, going through the discovery program. <clears throat> but first, I and then I'm going to go over just a little prayer and some scripture to help Steve get kicked off here. Um, so, where do I start? You know, I think as parents, you know, I'm a parent, and you know, as parents, we see our children kind of go through and take on new. Um, experiences or have new interests in life. And, you know, I always try to help my kids grow and learn. And a lot of times I grow and learn with them. And, you know, a couple years ago, my daughter, Hope, actually started showing a lot of interest in learning about God, about Jesus, about Christianity. And I didn't have a religious upbringing. I had um, kind of a spiritual mindset and open mind, but I didn't know how to help guide her. And so I did what normal dads would do. I ordered a book off Amazon. <laughs> and this is the complete illustrated children's Bible. It's pretty dense. And Hope and I, over the course of about six months, read a few stories a week and had some great conversations about those stories. And when we got finished with this book, we were like, okay, what's next? I don't know. I mean, I guess we go to church. And that's when we started coming here. And, um, you know, I kind of, as she was going off and learning in the youth program, I was sitting here amongst everybody, not knowing anybody, and these topics were just kind of going over my head. And I reached out to James, and he gave me a more advanced beginner's Bible, and thank you for that. <laughs> and, um, and then I got connected with Steve and the Discovery Program. And there are three things I absolutely um, value out of that Discovery Program from last year. You know, the first is, it gave me a place to go ask simple questions, right? Like, I remember one time Steve said, if you read two chapters a night, over the course of a year, you'll read the, the Bible, the big Bible. And, <laughs> and um, I'm, like, I, I'm like, what's a chapter? Because what I thought was a chapter was actually a book in the Bible. Um, and so that was a lot of reading. And so, you know, it gave, me a, it gave me a place to actually go and ask those kind of questions, you know. Um, the second thing was, I would say, the type of topics that were discussed were not what I was expecting. You know, there are topics that kind of touched on like why people don't believe, like what holds people back. And those really resonated with me. And, you know, that kind of led into the third point, um, of, which I think is the most valuable one. It was building the friendships, the community, um, getting to know people. We were in a small room and, you know, we had these complex topics brought up, uh, brought up and then we would break into smaller groups and we would discuss them. And, you know, I got to know people's names, and I was no longer just a fish out of water in this big group here, um, you know, with topics flying over my head. I started to learn and know people. And that was, that's what I found was the most beneficial. So um, October 1st, it's starting up again. And I want to encourage anybody that's new, go. Um, if you're, you know, there, I think on the website there's information on how to get enrolled and talk to um, Steve here or... Um, you know, uh, I would say also if like if you're not new, like, you know, I really benefited from meeting people and learning from people that have been around Christianity for a while. Um, the result of all this was I ended up getting baptized last um, Christmas Eve. And that was one of those planned um, spur of the moment events in my life that I, I didn't know I would ever do. So um, that was the result of it. And, and since then, I just have a whole new perspective on life and um, I'll, I'll end on this before going to the, story, the prayer. The, um, I guess you could say, like, my, um, throughout my life, I've kind of been spiritual, and, and I, I've always felt like I've been listening to music with, like, blankets on the speakers. And after going through this program and getting baptized, it's like those blankets 
were pulled off the speakers. And I was able to actually like hear notes and sounds and tones. I'm a music guy. So I was able to hear things I wasn't able to hear before. And so, um, yeah, that's that. And I will go into this prayer. It has a little bit of scripture in here. And then I'll hand over to Steve. So, dear Lord, I come before you today with a humble heart, seeking a deeper prayer life. I know that prayer is the foundation of my relationship with you. And I want to cultivate a rich and meaningful prayer life. Lord, I confess that sometimes my prayers are selfish and shallow. I often focus on my needs and wants rather than your will for my life. Help me to let go of my ego and to pray with a humble and contrite heart. And this is from Matthew 6. Um, but when you pray, go into, into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Give me the grace to per persevere in prayer, even when I feel distance from you or my prayers seem unanswered. Help me to trust in your goodness and to know that you are always with me, even in my darkest moments of life. Blind the evil one who tries to invade my thoughts. He has no power over me. Teach me to pray with patience and endurance and to seek your will in all things. Help me to pray for others as well as for myself and to seek your kingdom and your righteousness above all else. Lord, I ask that you bless my prayer life and make it a source of strength and comfort. Help me to draw closer to you through prayer and, experience, and to experience the joy and peace that only you can give. In your holy name I pray, amen. And wasn't that good? Goodness, that was great. We can just go home. That was fantastic. Hey, let's add some more joy to this. Pam and I are grandparents. Woo! Yeah. So Cal James Murphy came in on August 25th and uh, weighed 7 pounds, 14 ounces, and they're all doing good, and they're watching online, and hey, team, how are you doing? So we're having a great time and a lot of fun, and uh, I would recommend it to everybody. It's awesome. <laughs> all right. Uh, James asked if I would uh, walk through my prayer life and uh, what it's been like. He says, you know, you've been around for a long time. I think he was trying to say I was old. And <laughs> And, you know, you've had a lot of experiences, so would you just walk us through what it's been like? And so I, I put that together this morning, and uh, that's what we're going to walk through. But I want to, before I move to my story, I want to go back to Pam. Remember Pam shared a couple weeks back? And there was a key piece that we missed in that story that I, I want to bring up. We call, I call her a Cornelius, and that uh, allusion may be missing to some of you because you don't know who Cornelius is, but... Um, He's found in Acts chapter 10, and we'll shoot it up on the screen here. Uh, here's the story. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Okay, so he's a, not a normal centurion. Okay? There's something really going on with this guy. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, I'm assuming that's how he said it, right? And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? 
And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. Right? And if you go on with the rest of the story, here's what happens. Peter has a vision from God and uh, tells him that God is now making clean what didn't used to be clean, and that is the Gentiles. And so Peter comes, he preaches to Cornelius, his entire family, and all attached to it. And it says the entire group, the whole household, came to Christ. All right? It's an amazing story. You'll find it uh, in Acts chapter 10. You can go and look at it. But uh, Cornelius is what is known as a God-fearer. Okay? A person who just naturally has a bent towards God, either by instinct, nature, or predisposition, there, or other factors. Uh, they just have that, they're leaning that way already. Uh, not fully knowing him, yet seeking him. And they exhibit what Romans 2 says, where the law of God is written on the human heart, right? They, they naturally start carrying it out. They don't even know why they're doing it. Uh, the piece I wanted to add to Pam's story, uh, which we, I mentioned we both missed uh, after she shared, was that when she showed up at North Shore and Pastor Jan started speaking, she just about dropped out of her chair. She couldn't believe it because Pastor Jan was saying all the things that she had heard God tell her when she was a little girl. It was incredible. And, and God is reaching out to people like that. She, uh, she was stunned, and it led her, to, like Cornelius, to a full-blown surrender and salvation in the Lord Jesus. Uh, she is... Uh, was and is a God-fearer. She's naturally bent that way. Uh, many people are. Many of you today don't come out of a rebellion background like I did. You come from a questioning, there's something about this, why am I leaning this way? Church, why would I go to church? It just seems like I should, like Jason, why should I show up there, right? It's just a great story. Um, and I just want to say this morning that there are people in our world who are intuitively seeking God, and we should look for him right? They're, they're already almost prepackaged. It's almost set and it's, it's already there. You just got to open it up. So I just want to encourage us with that this morning. Okay, so on with my story. Uh, as I look back, I realize that prayer has been part of my life from the beginning. Uh, I, I come from a Catholic background, and so most of my prayers were formal prayers. You probably know them. They go like this. Our Father. Yep. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Gosh, I'm choking up on the Lord's prayer. (laughs) (laughs) Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's a profound thing. You could spend 40 years preaching on that, right? Especially as you get older forgiving. Uh, some other ones that you would read. Bless us, O Lord, the mealtime. Bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay? Actually, pretty cool prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. There's yeah, some profound theology in that little simple prayer. And then when I hadn't done so well, it was Father, forgive me for I have sinned. My last confession was, you know, kind of thing. And so that was kind of, kind of my prayer life. Um, but even in my worst moments, I remember being led or provoked to pray. I remember on one instance in a drunken stupor, I grabbed my buddy, 
yanked him out of bed with one arm, pulled him and said, come on, stupid, we've got to pray. <laughs> Don't ask me where that came from, but that's what happened. One of the most shocking things to be re- revealed to me after I was saved at the age of 22 was to find out that there had been people praying for me, lots of people praying for my salvation. I was absolutely stunned. I did not know that people did that. Okay, I didn't realize that was a thing. Um, it was an absolute revelation to me. I was invited into homes and families and, and I had never seen or heard people pray that way before. I don't know if you've any of you had that experience, but I had seen people cuss all the time, right? I grew up with that. I had never seen or heard people pray all the time. That, that was just like a foreign language. It was amazing. Two things had a huge impact on my early life as a Christian. Um, one was reading through the Bible, and the second was going to a, a school on uh, prayer. Uh, let me walk you through that really briefly. So my very first Bible study I went because a Packer coach invited me. If you've heard the powdered milk story, you understand this part of it. But I went, the only Bible I had, he had a children's Bible, right? I had the old Catholic family Bible, right? You know, the three by two by four, the flip it under your arm. That was the only Bible I had, baby. And uh, so uh, Dewey Reams and I took that and invited me to a Bible study. Pastor Jan Hedding was teaching it. And I walked in and the very first study I walked into, you thinking you were over your head, it was on Revelation. (laughs) I was like, Jan was asking questions. I answered three questions in a row wrong. Like, what the heck? I'm a straight A student. I never answer questions wrong. Like I was floored. By the time I found the book they were talking about, they were already three books past me, right? And I was just completely lost. And you know, here I thought I was this hip, cool party guy. And I realized, my gosh, I don't know a thing. I mean, I'm absolutely bankrupt. And so one of the elders there said, Steve, you know, that that Bible might not be the easiest to carry around. Uh, would you like a different one that would be easier? And I said, yeah. And he, he said, so you got to go to the Christian bookstore. That was a thing in the day. Remember that? And uh, he took me down there and I bought my, my, my first two Bibles. I went down and, and here they are today. These are the very first two Bibles I had. 1978, the, the, it's worn off. You can't even see the covers on them. But in the beginning of this one, um, it says, uh, I put faith. I said, for faith bought this book, faith opened up this book, and faith will trust this book. The date is July 25th, 1978. You were there, right? You remember that, yeah. Of course, there's my very first visitor sticker from being at Bethel Baptist Church. God was doing some powerful things. It was awesome stuff. All right, so uh, I, you know, so I was freaked out. I'm like, I will never catch up. So I read through the Bible twice in six months, right? Not because I was spiritual, not because I was smart. I was freaked out of my mind. I would never catch up. I had wasted years and I was like, I've got to catch up. And so I roared through it and uh, marked it all up. If you look at them, you can come up later and look. They're all marked up. And, and, And then I suddenly realized I passed people up, okay? because I didn't realize lots of people didn't read through the Bible. And so I, I, I won't tell you that story this morning, but Jan was a little shocked. Anyways, so I read through the Bible, and then I went to um, this right here. It's called Change the World School of Prayer. It's a booklet. Uh, when I went on sabbatical several uh, years ago, I read through it again. And uh, it was the first time it occurred to me 
that you could take prayer seriously and actually, and they had it broke down to how you pray through an hour of prayer. And I thought, an hour of prayer? I can get through like 30 seconds, you know? Are you kidding me? So I don't know I've ever accomplished an hour of prayer, but I know this is one of the most valuable things I ever went to because it got, it kickstarted me. It got me to think about praying seriously and actually engaging with it and, and doing it. So off I went, I jumped with both feet into the Christian life and um, God had brought a number of praying people my way. And, and they impacted me. I only have time to tell you about a few of them. Let me, let me start with a couple. First, let me tell you about Stan and Lynn Kantz. Stanley Kantz worked at the Lake to Lake Dairy Factory. Again, if you know the powder milk story, uh, you, you will understand. But he was like 6'4", 285, uh, was a butter churner in the, back in the old days. I know most of us wouldn't even know what that is. But he had forearms like Popeye and just, you know, and pop your head. I mean, he was that strong. And I, what I didn't know about this man is that he prayed for me. He and his wife prayed for me. And not only did they pray for me after I got saved, but I found out years later, uh, while I was still doing youth ministry, that they prayed for me uh, every night that I would be used by the Lord. And I just like, wow, I had no idea people were that kind of faithful. Um, I owe my life to them. Um, Let me tell you about my friend Marcella Baldwin. Okay, Marcella... By the time I knew Marcella, she was in her late 70s. Uh, she was a tiny little wisp of a woman. You know those grandmother types that walk up to you kind of thing? And, um, and she came to me one day, and she said, Steve, do you have a suit? Well, a suit? The best clothing I had at that day were my Oshkosh by gosh bib overalls, right? So I'm thinking, suit? And I said, why are you asking? She said, well, I had a dream about you last night. I'm thinking, a woman in her 70s is dreaming about me? Okay, this is kind of <laughs> kinky. So what's going on? She says, well, I'd like to buy you a suit. I said, well, that's a very gracious offer, but why in the world would I need a suit? She said, because I was praying for you, and the Lord told me that he was going to make you a youth pastor and that you would need a suit. I said, awesome. What's a youth pastor? Honestly, I had no idea. I did not know. I I had no clue what a youth pastor was. So she sat down and she walked me through and told me what a youth pastor was. And and so she did. She took me uh, to the store. I believe it was J.C. Penney's. And she took me and bought me a suit. Margie White's sitting out there. She can confirm this story as she saw me in it when I first showed up at North Shore back in 1979. All right? I believe to my horror, I was 10 to 15 years out of date. Just think, John Travolta, disco, platform shoes, I was there, okay? I was way out of style. But Marcella was dead on the money. I moved out to Seattle, and I was a youth pastor for 18 and a half years, okay? So uh, her prayers were important. Let me also tell you about my friend Hans Jorgensen. Now, Hans Jorgensen, many of you know Kirk and Sherry Mitchell. Kirk, this would be Kirk's grandfather on his mother's side. Okay, And he was also a traveling evangelist. He traveled through Canada through the 60s and 70s uh, with their motorhome trailer, and he preached all through Canada. And he was a praying man. So to set the stage for this story, I'd begun to lead the college and career group at Bethel, uh, Bethel Church in Green Bay, which is where we were at the time. And um, Jan Heading was the pastor, as I mentioned. And we belonged to the Baptist General Conference, which was conv- now is Converge USA, which is... Our church is part of that group yet to this day, all right? So that's our connection, our association, our tribe, our posse. That's who we run with, all right? And uh, 
the annual meeting for uh, that was happening, uh, Green Bay was hosting it. Bethel was the main church hosting it. And so people came from all over the nation, were there. I didn't really kind of know what was going on. Uh, I, I knew there was a conference. I knew it was a big deal, but really, it, uh, whatever, you know, kind of thing. So I'm teaching the college and career group, and I was a wreck. Okay, now here's why I was a wreck. I was playing softball uh, for the church team. I slid into third base, pow, popped my ankle, busted it, okay? So I got a cast on my ankle, all right? So I'm already wrecked from that. My job was working on the farms and I was installing bulk tanks into dairy farms where they would hold the milk till the guy came and picked it up, which is what my dad did, and then took it to Lake to Lake, which is where I later worked, all right? And we were cranking a, a foot in and the jack kicked out and the thing came down and landed right on this finger and just crushed it, just right? They jacked the tank back up. I looked and went, blood was going... I went, wow, cool. So I walked over to the sink. I uh, was washing it off. And the next thing I feel is somebody dabbing my face. Like, like, and I'm thinking, what, what the heck? I'm looking up. What had happened, I went into shock. I passed out. I smashed my face off the concrete where the window was. Then I smashed it off the valve of the tank. And then I smashed it off the grate on the floor. Okay? So I literally looked like I came through a train wreck. Okay? So I go into church. I'm on crutches, in a cast, fingers this big. My face looks like I've been in a street brawl. And I'm sitting in the class getting ready to teach. And the, the, uh, the Christian education guy they had those in churches back in that day came up to me and said, hey, Steve, the adult teacher is sick. Could you teach both classes together? And I looked at him and said, what do I look like, healthy? You know? <laughs> and a few other words in there. And... Um, and he says, I know, but you're all we got. So would you? And it turned out we were doing the same study. I said, sure, I'd be glad to. So I hobble in. I come into the auditorium, auditorium about this big, and it was packed out. And there's all these people I don't know. And I'm like, who are these people? Why are they here? But I thought, well, okay. So we get going. I start telling the story. And, you know, we're, we're teaching the thing. And I, I'm going, and we get to the part of break into small groups. And you know how you also easily break into small groups, right? So nobody moved. I said, hey, bring us. they said, so I, I took my foot like this, and I said, hey, see this foot? See those toes? They're turning blue. You don't move in 15 seconds, I'm going to pass out right in front of you. <laughs> Boom, you've never seen people move so fast in your life. <laughs> it was incredible. Okay? I get done, and this little old guy comes tottering up the Swedish accent. Yo, Steve, you're a beautiful young man, and God's hand is on your life. You keep doing what you're doing, Okay. I thought, wow, okay, who's that guy? Well, it turns out it was Kirk's grandfather. When the church was candidating Jan, Jan was talking about bringing somebody out, and he mentioned me. Hans stood up in the meeting and said, I have met this young man. God's hand is on his life. You should bring him. Okay, and so uh, as a result of uh, the, Hans doing that, I ended up coming out and being the youth pastor at North Shore Baptist Church. So because of Marcella's suit and Hans praying, I came out full style. Right, Margie? She's, you can ask her after, okay? Uh, it's fun. Anyways, a great, great story. Um, Pastor Jan was probably the greatest influence in my life when it came to prayer. Uh, I remember him praying and just thinking, wow. Now, first of all, he sounded like God. Okay, those of you know, mm, so God, we want, you know, like, you know, 
But he would come up with things or angles in prayer that I went, I would have never thought of that. How did he even, how was he even aware of that? And so for 25 years, I sat under that listening, and that really shaped how I prayed. Because I realized it didn't have to be this thing. It could be thoughtful, and it could be, uh, you know, spread out, and it could come from different angles, and uh, like, it really, uh, he, he's a mentor, uh, has been, he's modeling uh, prayer and does to this day, right? So he was huge in that. Uh, related to this, one of the more profound influences with prayer was being involved in the, what we called at the time pastor prayer summits. And the idea behind that was that pastors from all over the region would gather, and usually every fall, uh, a local camp, uh, Warren Beach was one of them, where we did our family camp this summer. We spent three days doing nothing more than praying together and sharing. When they first brought this idea up, I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. What are we going to do? Can we play football? I mean, <laughs> like, the idea of praying for three days was unfathomable to me. I don't know how you would think about it, but I was just like, I can't, I didn't even, I couldn't conceive how this could even be remotely fun, let alone, like, like, it sounded like the boringest thing I've ever heard. It was profound and moving. It was one of those things where at the beginning you wondered, why in the world am I doing this? And when it was over, you didn't want to leave and you didn't want it to end. It, it was the most amazing thing. And so as a result of all the prayer influences like that, they've always prayed, they always then played a big role in our youth staff meetings. I built our youth staff meetings around prayer. I built our retreats around prayer. I built our events, but especially Sunday mornings. I was uh, inspired by the story of Charles Spurgeon and the people at his church. If you know the story, many of you do, but Charles Spurgeon back in the 1800s had a church of 10,000 people without microphones, okay? So we're talking, this was something off the charts. And people would come from all over the world because they wanted to capture or copy what God was doing at Spurgeon's church in England. And so Spurgeon would take him through the church and he said, you want to see where the real power is? And he'd take him down into what he called the bowels of the church, which is the basement, right? Take him down in the bowels. And down there was a furnace room and in that furnace room would be like 300 people who were praying for all the services while they were going on. And, and Spurgeon would point and say, there's the engine, okay? And I remember reading that story and so I wanted to copy that. So every Sunday, an hour before youth service would begin, we would have a team of people. Uh, usually parents, youth staff, sometimes students who would come and pray. And this went on for years. Uh, so let me tell you about my friend, Fran Utman. Okay? Fran was um, one of the moms. Uh, she had three sons in the youth program in the early years, but the boys had graduated out and her husband, Don, had died. And in a season of transition where a bunch of people graduated, moved, the prayer meetings had actually kind of dwindled. And eventually, the only two left who would show up were Fran Utman and myself. She faithfully showed up for over six months by herself um, to lift students up in prayer. But here's the kicker. She was losing her eyesight. She was going blind. Okay? We had to help her into the room. She couldn't even see hardly to get into the car, let alone to walk across the parking lot. And yet, she never missed she had her sons, her friends drive her to church so she could show up to pray. Uh, Fran herself is now in heaven. And I don't think we'll fully know the impact of all that took place, but I'm sure it would not have happened if Fran hadn't made an effort to show up. And if you hear a quiver in my voice, it's gratefulness. Okay? 
Uh, she left an indelible mark on me. She's a picture, uh, she is the picture that comes to my mind when I think of being faithful in prayer. So then this habit then carried over into my marriage, thankfully, although in a different time slot. Like Pam mentioned when she shared, we have a personal habit of praying at the end of every day before we go to bed. Uh, For us, it works to collect, you know, the thoughts and the events of the day and download them with the Lord, right? Uh, It helps relieve anxiety, helps us sleep better. It also allows us to hand off to the Lord the burdens and pressures that have come our way through the course of the day. You know, the ones you have no idea what to do with, right? It's great to hand them off to him. Say, we're going to bed. I hope you process. We'll see you in the morning kind of thing. It also helps us to keep on track, to forgive each other, and not go to sleep angry with each other when we have one of those days. Okay? It's proven invaluable. Our, Pam and I's arrival, as a matter of fact, in Norfolk was a, as a result of prayer. Uh, we went to a, a marriage retreat in Kona, Hawaii. It was awful. And, um, <laughs> but actually what happened was, it was a retreat for, uh, with YWAM, and it was a retreat for couples that were in trouble and struggling. We didn't know that. Several of our friends went, they were so moved by it. They sent Pam and I, we thought, wow, this is awesome. Somebody sent us to Hawaii for a week. We're going to sit on the beach. It's great. And then there's this thing going on. And we're like, what's this thing going on? And, and one of the gals who's actually my friend came to me and says, so when are you going to admit, Steve? And I go, well, I admit what? She goes, well, that your marriage is in trouble. But marriage is not in trouble. Oh, yes, it is. Well, it's not. It is. It's not. Well, ask Pam. Pam went, no, it's not. She says, oh, you guys aren't going to be honest. And then she walked away. <laughs> and we were like, we, uh, we were floored. But there was a guy there named Pastor David, great guy. He came and said, Steve, talk to me. And we, I walked him through and said, why are we here? And he said, well, Steve, this is a retreat. I said, oh. Well, uh, he says, you know, I, I think you're here for a different reason. And so at the end of the week, a lot of cool stuff happened. We don't have time to go into it this morning. But uh, by the way, I ran into people I knew. Okay. But um, yeah, what a shock. And, uh, but anyways, to cut the show short for purposes this morning, um, at the end, he prayed a prayer for us. And it was so shocking and so clear that literally in the middle of prayer, Pram and I turned, looked at each other, went, can you yeah, non-verbally, can you believe what we're hearing? And then went back to prayer. Right? And, like, and he prophesied this thing over us about God was starting something new and we were going to move and this is good, da, da, da. and i like, I'm not moving anywhere. I was a lifer at North, uh, North Shore. You were going to have to take dynamite to blow me out of there, right? And, uh, but we went with this weird thing and then one day I came home and, and things had fallen apart for Northview. Uh, Pastor Dan, Dan had resigned and things were, Northview was in deep trouble. It, Matt's sitting there nodding his head. It was on life support, and they're ready to pull the plug, right? And so I came home to Pam, and I said, hey, honey, we got to pray. Because a lot of the people in Northview were our friends, and we really cared. And, and so we got to pray. Northview's going down in flames. It's, it's over. She said, that's it? I said, that's what? She goes, that's it? What's it? She goes, that? What? That? North- no, 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 no. No, didn't you hear what I just told you? It's on life support. It's dead. It's, it's done. She goes, no, that's what God has for us. Fortunately, I've learned to trust her, intu- her intuition. So we threw our name in the hat, and the rest, as they say, is history. Okay? Lots of stories in there, too. But God worked in miraculous ways through prayer. Um, 
Then coming into Norfolk, we were given a charge very early in, in our tenure, and mostly this came through me. Uh, so I had a friend named Scott Box. Scott Box, some of you know, was actually the worship pastor at Norfolk before I got there. There was some fallout. Scott ended up not at Norfolk anymore. But he called me up. This, was, this would be uh, the end of January, beginning of February of uh, 2005. And he calls me up and he's rattled and he says, dude, I had a dream about you last night. And I said, well, that's kind of kinky. And he goes, shut up. You know, you know, a good friend talks to you. And all of a sudden, you ever talk where you realize, oh, there's something way deeper going. I was being a fool. This, this is way deeper deal. And so I said, oh, 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 slow down. Stop a bit. I said, what's going on? He said, I am so rattled. I don't know what's going on. He said, Steve, I can't tell you if this is the dream and that was real last night or last night was the dream and this is real. I have no idea where I'm at right now. I said, okay, slow down a bit. I said, let's do this. Go back, peel it apart. Let's start from the beginning and we'll walk through it. I, I, I can't share the whole story this morning on time, but at the end of it, basically what the charge was from the Lord to Scott was you need to go talk to Steve You know Steve Mitchells, right? He said, oh yeah, I love Steve. He said, okay, I want you to go, I want you to tell him three things. Number one, and I'm very proud of him as a son. I went, I don't know of you guys, but really? (gasps) I, I almost didn't have capacity to take that or absorb that. Number two, he's exactly where I want him to be. Okay? That didn't look like a great place when I first came to Norfolk because I, we weren't sure we were going to make it. And then number three, And he said, Scott, you need to repeat this to him three times. He has to be very, very steadfast. Can you do that? And he said, yes, Lord, I can. So he gets the phone, so I'm supposed to tell you. So, well, you better tell me. So he tells me three times, Steve, you need to be very, very steadfast. Mitch, you need to be very, very steadfast. Steve, God wants to underline the fact that you need to be very, very steadfast. I thought, oh, something bad's going to happen, right? That's not good. All right, now fast forward to the end of May, beginning of June, somewhere in there. I wish I'd written these dates down. Uh, another family, Wade and Violet Andrews, great friends, lived in Woodenville, had a home. They had an indoor swimming pool. When our kids were little, we took them there, swam. It was great fun. I helped them remodel on the house. And uh, Wade calls me up. Good friend. You ever have a good friend call you up and it's not, right? He calls me up and says, hey, Steve. I said, oh, Wade, how you doing? Uh, hey, um, do you think Violet and I could have dinner with you and Pam? sure that'd be great when, when okay I'll, I'll have violet call pam we'll set something up uh all right click click like and i'm racing my brain what have i done to, have, did we sin against them what you know what's going on can't figure it out i talked to pam she has no idea they come over we have this uh fumbly stumbly worse than junior high meal together how, yeah, um, I, right? We get to the living room after, and I said, okay, time out. What's going on? I said, you guys are acting totally weird. And Wade goes, tell him, tell him, tell him thing. Right? You're going to get the bombs going to drop, right? And she says, well, Steve, you know our house, right? And she has a story of someone breaking in her house. It comes up the steps. She sees the light. She comes to the door, and she sees the Lord standing in the door. And the Lord says to her, uh, Violet, you, you know Steve Mitchells, don't you? And she says, yes. I want you to give him a message. Would you do that for me? He says, yes, Lord, I would. And he says, first of all, by the way, I'm cutting out a lot of the story there. There's some drama to it, but it's a lot of fun. Anyways, says, uh, I want you to tell him, number one, that I'm very proud of him as a son. Number two, he's exactly where he needs to be. Number three, he has to be very, very steadfast. Can you repeat that to him? Three, it's important you repeat it to him three times. 
And so she, she did, right? She repeated to me three times. Well, then Pam and I turned ghost white. And, you know, she goes, did I say something wrong? I said, no, let us tell you another story. So we told her the story about Scott. The boxes and the Andrews do not know each other. They have no connection. There's, there's no way that could have been collaborated together. They didn't have any relationship. So, so God, right at the beginning of our ministry, uh, Northview, uh, told us that we had to stand very steadfastly through the ministry. And um, as I look back, I go, wow, was that ever intuitional on God's part? Amazing. He kind of knows what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right? So prayer has played a huge role in our history here. Um, many of you would remember the National Days of Prayer and we'd, have, we'd pray for 24 hours and we'd have all the cards and you'd pick an hour, right? And you'd pick 20-minute slots and you'd pray and we, hit, we doubled up so that we had at least three people praying for every minute of that 24 hours and uh, we had a walk-through thing and we did that kind of stuff. Uh, we, we always prayed at the staff meetings. We always lifted you up in prayer. We always had the the list of people and what to pray for and who to pray for, that kind of stuff. Um, Sunday mornings. We, I started the same thing here. Sunday mornings that I started in the youth ministry is we'd meet an hour before the service and we would meet and we would pray and lift up the morning, that kind of thing. I've also read a lot about prayer. Uh, here's a list of a few books that have made an impression on me over the years. You see it up on the screen. Um, Does Prayer Make Any Difference by Philip Yancey. Uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret by Greg Lewis, uh, Autobiography of George Mueller, Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray, Secret Power by Dwight Moody, Works of Ian Bounds. Uh, if you've never heard of Ian Bounds, he's worth reading. And God's Chosen Path by Arthur Wallace. If I had to pick any one of those, the, the one I would pick is the Autobiography of George Mueller. If you've never heard of George Mueller, you have no idea who George Mueller is, if you want to read about faith and prayer and God working in miraculous ways, the autobiography of George Mueller is one of the greatest testaments in the history of our world. It is beyond. You, you get done with the book and go, that can't be real. It, it's, it's amazing. So, okay, so with all of that in place, so the question can now be asked, so Steve, you're now retired, okay? What does prayer look like for you now, right? Which I think is a really fair question. Um, and, you know, the question behind that question is, well, is it any different now? You know, because you don't have to do it anymore, right? You're not a professional anymore. Maybe all that prayer was just the trappings that went along with the role, you know, so, so that people knew you were a holy man kind of stuff, and that you put that on. Well, I'm glad to report that prayer is as much of a get-to and ever-increasing now that I'm retired, okay? That it's not lessened, it's actually increased so here's what my life looks like right now, today as I stand in front of you. I get up every morning. When I say every morning, I might miss a morning, but every morning. And I pray, and then I read my four chapters of Scripture. And uh, I'm in the book of Acts right now, okay, if you guys are reading along with and, uh, and then I email my reading group. So I have a, one group here that's on a church on the, um, what's the name of that group? Yeah, okay. Read, read through the Bible, okay, if, in a year. And, uh, and so there's 16 people in that group, so I email them. And then I have a group of guys. It started out with two guys. Now there's 21 guys, and they're all reading through the Bible uh, in the year. My buddy George Henry is just about done. He's raced ahead of me this year. And uh, they're reading, so I, I text them and uh, get the stuff out to them. Pam and I still pray almost every night before we go to sleep. 
and we lift up our and our friends and the church's concerns to the Lord uh, before we go to sleep. So that kind of bookcases the day. I still come on Sunday mornings and meet with the prayer team an hour before the service to seek the Lord's blessing and lift up the concerns of the church as a whole. And by the way, that is an open invite. If you're here, you're online, you're listening, watch, that's an open invite. You can show up here at 8 in the morning and uh, come and join us. If you feel led and touched by the Holy Spirit to do that, please come and join us. There's no such thing as too many, okay? We'll just push James out of the auditorium if we get too many. It'll be fun, all right? And then the other thing that I found, uh, this is kind of a shift. I find myself praying a lot when I'm driving around. Uh, This started several years ago. Uh, I just turned off the sports stations, right? You know, go Mariners, go Hawks, go Huskies. By the way, what a great weekend for sports, right? But I'm finding that it's just talking head stuff, and I'm going, they're not, I I just turn it off. It's kind of blathered to me at this point. And I'm, I'm driving around going, God, there's people in these houses. Look at all these people in these cars. Look at, God, you gotta do something. And, and so I find myself caught, um, thinking and wrestling with people and names and, and things like that. And it, it's been really encouragement. Uh, let me give you some encouragements to join me in, in this kind of prayer this morning um, and just remind ourselves of the encouragements found in Scripture. Uh, if They'll be up on the screen here, but uh, Isaiah 55 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Uh, scripture later in another place in the Psalm says, hey, when the rush of waters hits, it's too late, right? And if you just think of the Maui fires, just, right, there's a time to pray. You should do it before that stuff happens, okay? And, um, you know, and another thing I'd like to say something about that is, uh, you know, that's an absolute tragedy, right? And, but one of the things, remember when Jesus said to the people, he said, did you think those people who fell in the, the, the Tower of Shalom were killed in the Tower were worse sinners than any other Galileans? Okay, people of Maui aren't any different than us. They were sitting there living their life and that happened, okay? We live in an earthquake zone. We could be sitting here and that happens, okay? And then people are praying for us. But what does scripture say? Pray while you can. Pray before it happens. Be ready when it happens. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, right? We're master procrastinators. Do it today. First uh, Thessalonians says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, and do not quench the Spirit. Notice, quenching the Spirit, you could reverse that list, and if you just reverse the list, it said, grumble always, never pray, and, and be ungrateful. <laughs> right? That would be the flip of that list. Just be a curmudgeon. Just sit there and feel sorry for yourself and stew in your, your junk and just, you know, mope and pout and tell God what a jerk he is. That's not what it says. It says, reverse that flow, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks, and you have to think through your life, okay, how, what can I give thanks for? Uh, I've always said a grateful church is a sign of a healthy church. Okay? It, James, therefore, here we go, Bri. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. I think most of us think God could never use us, so therefore he won't, so therefore why pray? And the Bible says God can use all of us, so we should all be praying and be looking for how he's going to use us. Right? So it's just a faith thing, right? It's as simple as, as flipping that little 
thing there. Romans 8 says this, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, thank God. For we do not, oh it doesn't say that in there, that was Mitchell's paraphrased version. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit, and what's the word there? Intercedes, steps in, comes in, helps the paraclete, the helper, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Always remember, Scripture says the Spirit is interceding for you, the Spirit is in, or, uh, Jesus is interceding for you, and the Father himself is praying for you. We've got an awesome team that cares about us and will step in the gap for us. Romans 12 says this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saint and seek to show hospitality. Okay? Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. If there's one that we blow, it's that middle one. We have no patience. You see it all over the place. You see it in the store. You see it on the, on the road. You see it wherever you look, right? Everybody's blowing up. Be patient in tribulation. Tribulation usually lasts longer than five minutes. I just thought I'd inform you, right? Ephesians says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. In other words, it's not all about you. It's not all about you. Think of some other people who are hurting and step in the gap for them and pray. You'd be amazed how that changes you. All right, so with this, I've, I've come up with 10 principles. Steve's principles of prayer. Um, we're going to go through them quickly. Here we go. Number one, prayer seldom, if ever, just happens. You have to start, you have to try. It just doesn't come upon you and all of a sudden you're praying for an hour at a time. You've got to start somewhere. So if you haven't started, start. Find a place. Uh, my place right now, because uh, I've lost my office here, is in my office in my house. Matt moved out. Pam said, you can come back anytime you want, honey. I said, no, son, you can't. <laughs> I said, because I have news for you. Here's what's going to happen. The second you step out, I'm going in that room. That grody carpet is getting ripped out. We're redoing the room. That's becoming my office. So I'll give you the same advice my dad gave me. Figure it out. All right? <laughs> That is now my prayer closet. That I go in the morning, I shut the door, and I read and pray in there. And, and my family is very gracious. They know not to interrupt unless it's important. Uh, but that, that's my prayer closet. And so uh, that, that, just start. Find a place. Find a place that works for you. Number two, if you're waiting until you're holy enough, you'll never pray. This, this stops 90% of us right here because we're not holy enough. Well, of course we're not. We never have been. We're never going to be. So pray. Okay? You don't have to be a saint to pray. You pray to become a saint. All right? So just start. That's how the great one started and us too. Number three, you'll love this one. Prayer and purity go together. It's that holiness thing. You either pray or you do porn. You can't do both. All right? And gals, you know, that's a guy thing, but all the... All the uh, Romance novels and all the, you know, bachelor things and all the, all, all that stuff, that's just as bad as porn. Sorry. Okay? It's really hard if you're involved in that stuff to pray. You either pray or you do impurity. So aim towards holiness. All right, number four. Sorry for conviction. Didn't mean to do that. Okay, yes, I did. 
Number four, it's a conversion, not a tally sheet. Okay? It's not a, can I, for, I'm talking to us production people in here, right? We're going to make a list, and we're checking it twice. And we're going to find out who's naughty or nice, right? Down we go. We're praying, okay. No, 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 it's a conversation. Who is God bringing to your mind? Why? Why do you need to pray for them? What? Think it through, all right? Number five, this is an interesting one. Be impudent. You're what? Be impudent. What in the world are you talking about? This comes out of Luke 11. Remember that story, a guy, a friend shows up late at night and he doesn't have any bread. And he knows his buddy next door's got bread, so he goes over to buddy next door, knocks on the door, says, hey, dude, my friend came on a long journey. I'm out of bread. Can you just hand me some bread? Guy says, get out of here, you idiot. We're, well, it doesn't say that, but get out of here, you idiot. I'm, my, we're in bed. We're asleep. Go away. And it says, even though he's his friend and won't get out of bed to help his friend, he's going to get out of bed and give him the bread because he's bugging him. Remember the old widow that came to the judge? And Jesus tells this parable well too. And it said the judge didn't fear God nor man. But this lady, this widow, just kept coming saying, I am not going to quit till you help me out here. And he said, you know what? She's driving me nuts. I'm going to give her justice just to get her out of my hair. Okay? And scripture actually talks about us approaching God that way. I don't know about you. I have a hard time with that. That seems really inappropriate to me. That seems offensive. That seems disrespectful. And yet, it is, God tells us, come on. Bring it, come, let's go. And I found that that's actually kind of a lot of fun. I need this. No, I don't care about your timing anymore. I need this. We need to talk. And either give me a different thing or something, but I need it now. Let's go. And I'm like, wow. It's a boldness that I, I, I never had as a Catholic growing up. Okay? So I just encourage you to figure out what that is for yourself. Number six, having said that, be honoring. Remember, it, remember who it is you're talking to. Remember who you're coming to. Right? Be honoring. Number seven, be grateful. A lot of times we come for things we need and we forget what we've already got. Right? We come with the cup half empty approach instead of the cup that's half full. And uh, again, gratefulness goes a long way with God. And if you go over, and I was just, part of why, I, and I knew this, I, part of why I was choking up is I went through these stories gratefulness just welled up in me all the things God had done just my goodness have you been good uh, just I just want to cry right so uh, it was, be grateful number eight this will come as a shock be steadfast you got to stay with it you, you it can't just be a, a once a month thing or a once a year thing or you know hey I'll talk to God on Christmas and Easter no no you, it, it's a relationship right if you're married how often do you have to interact with your husband and wife? Every day. If you're parents, how often do you have to interact with your kids? Every day. If you're grandparents, how often do you have to interact with your grandkids? <laughs> Every day. See the difference? Okay, it's not a have to, it's a get to. It's a get to. Just think of it that way. Stay steadfast, keep coming at it. And then number nine, come humbly. Come humbly, right? I don't know how to put that into words for you, but for me, what that means is, Steve, get over yourself. Okay? It's not about you. Come humble. Know, know what he needs. Figure out the ball game and play according to his rules. Come humbly. And then number 10, trust no matter what. And I'm going to say this. That's true for new believers. Jason, that's true for you, right? 
Trust no matter what. You've had some scary things already and you have some more scary things. Guess what? Join the crowd. But I want to say this to those of us who are at the three-quarter mark. Okay? We've walked with the Lord for a long time. It is really easy to flag. It is really easy to pitch the tent and just go in the ditch. It is really easy to quit. Okay? And to believe that uh, this thing, whatever it is, is now so big, it's bigger than God and he can't handle it. And when you look back, did he take care of everything? Yes, he has. If you've trusted him for that, then you have to trust him for this. Okay? He will take you there. You just have to lean into him. And so trust him no matter what. I don't care what the world brings, and I don't care what history brings, and I don't care what our culture brings, and I don't give a rip what people say, and I don't care if the people say the church is dead, and I don't care if they say the Bible's not the word of God, and I don't care if they say Jesus is a magician, and I don't care because I know him, I've met him, he's not done, he's coming through, he's going to break out, and you just have to trust that he'll do it, because a lot of times it gets really dark before the light comes, right? So trust him no matter what. All right, well, let's go into communion. Because if you think about it, communion is about trust. What Jesus was doing with his disciples, go ahead and grab, there should be a plate by you there. And by the way, we've got to come up with a way with uh, what I want to call clickless lids. <laughs> right? You know, guys know what I'm talking about? But just think about communion for a minute. What was Jesus doing at communion? And of course, there's been so many Beautiful pictures of that um, over the years. But think through this prayer thing. He was telling the disciples to trust no matter what. He knew what was coming. They didn't. And he was saying to them, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Lo, I will be with you always to the ends of the age. And so he was painting a pattern. He was modeling for them, trusting the Father like they needed to trust him. And he gave some symbols. And they're beautiful symbols, right? The body, of course, is the symbol of his body, the bread, I mean. And the cup is the symbol of the blood he was about to shed in just a few hours on the cross. And he... he we call it communion. What does communion mean? It means we're relating to each other, right? If James and I get together and we go have coffee, we're having communion together, right? We're hanging out. We're talking. We're, we're buddies. We want to be together. If Matt and I go fishing together, why are we? That's communion, right? It's, we're hanging, and Jesus says, hey, have communion with me. And if you think of prayer, what's prayer? It's having communion with them, all right? And so Jesus said, hey, church, Remember the pictures? This is my body. Remember what I did for you? Have communion with me. Eat this in memory of me. Then he listed this up, probably the most poignant symbol. He said, this is a symbol of my blood. But there's also another picture. He said, this is the cup of which I will not drink of until I come back. When he comes back, what are we going to have? Communion. So we might as well start having communion now. Might as well start praying now. Might as well go deeper now. Now's a good time, right now. He said, drink this in memory of me. All right, let's pray. 
Father in heaven, lots of words, and where lots of words, sin is not far away. So I seek you this morning that um, in this, there would be a specific idea, a specific principle, a specific scripture, a specific story that my friends can identify with in their journey with you. And it highlights something for them that they've heard you saying. And if they hear you saying it, then it's going to make a lot more sense than if they hear me saying it. So we humble ourselves right now, recognizing that we are very, very imperfect people. That the greatness of us isn't us. The greatness of us is you. And we seek you this morning to help us have communion with you in better ways. Help us to pray with better attitudes. Help us pray with better intent. Help us lock in. Help us not be too busy. And we seek you for that in your name. Amen.